When we share love, we're sharing God. Over the last four weeks, we've lit the Advent candle, and each one has symbolized something different, hope, peace, joy. And today's candle symbolized love. I was struck when Daryl and Kelly began to share about their journey here and when they first came in, how they felt loved, that they were home, that they were connected. I've been in places where it didn't seem like that. I've traveled a good part of my life, and in some areas, when I went to preach revivals, people would stare at me when I came in and never smile and never really greet me. And so sometimes finding love, the kind of love that God offers, is difficult. We find there, there's songs that talk about love, you know, finding love in all the wrong places and, you know, hunk a hunk of burning love and <clears throat> all, these, all these songs about love, but they're a facade of love. They're a shadow of love, not genuine love. Because genuine love surrounds what happened in a manger. Genuine love speaks of Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That, my friend, is the true essence of love. Scripture tells us, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And I've thought about our culture and society and how it seems like we, this time of year especially, it, it seems like maybe we're warming back up to the idea of Christ in Christmas, but how many of you remember how hard that has been fought over the years? And, you know, to the point that people were threatened at the loss of their job if they said Merry Christmas in a retail shop. And instead of saying Merry Christmas, they were instructed to say Happy Holidays. It's no longer a Christmas tree. It was a holiday tree. And they did everything they could to disconnect Christmas from Christ. And I, I thought about how tragic that is. And, you know, when people say happy holidays to me, I look at them and say, Merry Christmas. God bless you. How you doing? So just share the reason for the season. I came across a story that I want to illustrate for you, so I'm going to ask the team if they would to go ahead and come out. But there was a grade school and the kindergarten class was having what we used to call a Christmas concert. But because everybody was so, no, no, you're not yet. Johnny, go back until I call your, no, no, you can stay here, children. It's when you were dealing with kindergartners. It, uh, it's so, everybody just stay where you're at. We're going to get to you in just a second. And so what happened was they, the, instead of what we used to call a Christmas concert, they weren't doing the Christmas concert. They were doing, they called it a winter pageant. And, and it was absent of anything to do with Christ. They sang about snowflakes and reindeer and, and Rudolph and Santa Claus. But Jesus was never mentioned. There was no song about a babe in a manger and about how God had given a gift to the world. And at, toward the end of the conference, one of the parents was uh, talking about it. I read her story, and she was talking about how that they did a song that, that was pushing the envelope a little bit because it did mention Christmas, and the name of the song was Christmas Love. And so what would happen as they begin to announce the letters, the children would come up as their letter was announced, and they would hold it up, and it was going to spell out Christmas love. And so they said, like, C is for Christmas. And when they said that, little Jimmy came up and held his letter high, and then they said, H is for happy, and little Debbie came up, and she held her letter next to Jimmy's, and, and R is for uh, really good presents. <laughs> Little Gina came up and, and held it, and I is for I get it all. And, you know, and they, they came up and held it up and, you know, try and get it right there, little Kevin. There you go. <laughs> and so this continued all the way through from S and to 
key. And they, they, were, they were coming up and, and, and M and, and A and S. And then they made sure to separate and go down. And it was L, O, V, and E. And so everybody was amazed because they were, they, they were spelling it out. Christmas, get them right, guys, get them right. Christmas love. But here's what happened. Get it right. Here's what happened is that while they were dancing on stage and singing, one of the girls got her letter upside down, and she separated from the rest of the group with her fidgetness. And so at the end of it, when it was supposed to spell out Christmas love, instead of saying Christmas love, the hush fell over the crowd when they looked up after all the laughter, and they saw Christ was love. And Christ, can I tell you today that Christ isn't just was love, Christ is love. Amen. Give them a big hand. and You can all go back. We'll have cookies and milk for you a little bit later. <clears throat> they did a great job. So Christ was and is love. I thought about that. The essence of love. Christ is love. So I want to speak to you for just a little while today on this topic, I love being loved. Say it with me. I love being loved. Who among us doesn't love being loved? The thing is, is we get it all twisted up. And so, you know, boyfriends and girlfriends and stuff like this, and then all of a sudden a girl winds up pregnant, and, and it wasn't love, it was lust. And the guy that you thought you were in love with doesn't even want to talk to you now because he doesn't want the responsibility and he's nowhere to be found. And we've lived in a twisted world that has tried to hijack the word love and turn it into everything except what it was meant to be. Love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Hang on to that for a second. The greatest father that the world has ever known, God, was willing to sacrifice his son. I tried to wrap my mind around that because you have to remember, okay, now wait a minute, God is love. How does this fit? And I begin to think about other people that have sacrificed their children. I thought about how that sometimes people sacrifice their children for themselves. They abuse their children for their own selfish desires. And their children are sacrificed, but that's not love. Others that have children taken away because of their lack of responsibility or their addictions. And they can't deal with it and so they're not willing to do what it takes to keep the family together. And that, my friend, is not love. There are others that sacrificed not for themselves or for their addictions, but they sacrificed for the child because they knew they couldn't care for the child. And, and they wanted the child to have a good home, and they wanted the child to be loved. And so they would put that child up for adoption, praying, God, send a family that will love them, that will care for them. And that's a form of love. See, I can understand something about adoption because I have been adopted. Oh, wait a minute. I thought you, you talk about your mom and dad. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm talking about my other dad. My, I was a Gentile. I wasn't a Jew. So I was written off. Matter of fact, all the kids, the Jew, all, all the Jewish boys and girls considered me a dog. But God so loved the world that he gave 
his son so I could become his son. Now watch this. Watch how this love plays out. Because God doesn't just take Jesus and say, okay, so I'm sacrificing you so I can bring all these other kids in here. You know, how many of you remember when you had children, how some of them would get jealous if other kids came over and you were paying a little bit of attention to somebody else's daughter or somebody else's son? That's my dad. That's my mom. God didn't push Jesus out of the picture to bring us in. He brought him into the picture to lift us up. Now watch this. He does not take away Christ's life. He does not sacrifice his son without his son's permission. That's pretty powerful. When's the last time you asked your kid for permission to do something? Watch this. Listen to this verse. This is Jesus speaking in St. John chapter 10 and verse 17. Therefore, my father loves me. <laughs> Say it with me. My dad loves me. My, my dad loves me. Now watch what he says here. Because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. So what's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I'm not forced to end this. This hasn't been thrust on me where I can't make a choice. But I love my dad, and I want to be able to have his same heart. And so I had a talk with my dad, and I said, Dad, if there's any way we can do this some other way, I'd like to do it. But if this is it, not my will, but thy will be done. I love being loved. I love knowing that God cares about my feelings. I love knowing that God is not a taskmaster master, or sitting on a throne with a bolt of lightning waiting for me to mess up, but that he tugs at my heart and he says, I've got something special for you but it can only be yours if you choose it. You have to make the decision. How many of you, when you were young, wanted to dress yourself? I'm talking about not like 16. I mean, like when you were, you know, when you were three or four years old, you wanted to dress yourself. Debbie struggled with, I mean, you know, it was, she was going to dress herself. And she would, she would come up with all kinds of outfits, and she still does today, comes up with all kinds of outfits. And one day she went to, she, she matched out these, this top, and, you know, and she went to, to school, and it looked really nice. And another girl looked at her and said, man, I love that top. I got some pajamas that look just like that. They were pajamas, but she had turned them into an outfit. <laughs> and so we want to do for ourselves. But love surrenders. As a matter of fact, love has some unique characteristics. Love is very powerful. Everybody say very powerful. Well, what makes you think love is real powerful? Because God is love. Love is very powerful, and it has specific characteristics. Listen to this for a second. In 1 Corinthians 13, and, you know, that's the love chapter, but I just want to cover three verses of Scripture there, and I want you to hear these characteristics that the writer portrays of love. Love is patient. Would you come on? Thank you. I knew that was coming. How many of you men have ever been in the driveway waiting for your wife? Praise God, I got a witness. And so, just like geese honk to encourage each other when they're flying, we men 
honk to encourage them to fly out here and get in the car. <laughs> honk, honk. And so this past week, I'm, I, I was, we were getting ready to leave, and I, I had several ends I was trying to tie up and get ready, and all of a sudden I'm getting ready to walk out, and Kathy's in the front office, and, and all of a sudden the horn, or the, I, I, was, the, I was looking for Deb, and the horn starts blowing in the car, and Kathy goes in hysterics and starts laughing. I'm thinking, what's going on? I, I, I walk out there, and she's out in the car blowing the horn for me. <laughs> Kathy said, I, I said, I, I came back in and Kathy said, she told us she was going to do that. So she, <laughs> encouragement. Everybody said, just trying to give you a word of encouragement. <laughs> so love is patient when you're trying to teach your child to ride a bicycle. You have to go along behind them and catch them and be ready in case they fall. Any of you? Ever do that? I mean, when you taught your kid to ride the bike, you, surely you didn't take them out in the interstate. <laughs> Here. Or take them up on a big hill. Just get on board, Johnny. Let me see if I can aim you. <laughs> and turn them loose. You were beside them. You were trying to help them along. And when they fell down, you encouraged them to get back up and begin again because nobody ever really got through life without falling. And you need to understand that failure isn't final unless you just refuse to get up. So love is patient. Everyone say love is patient. And love is kind. I just love you so much. Get in there and make me some breakfast. Boy, I'll tell you what, Erlene's eyes popped up, and I wasn't even talking to her. <laughs> I think she's getting ready to come to, to Debbie's defense. I'm going to make you breakfast. I put a frying pan upside your head. <laughs> love is patient and love is kind. In other words, we have to learn how to speak kindly to one another. You know something I've, I discovered is that sometimes we have less patience and more harsh words for our family than we do for strangers. And those things ought not be. But it's because we tend to take each other for granted. And it would do good if we would remember how much we really love one another. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Everybody say jealous. Love is not jealous. In other words, if, and let, me, let me kind of put this in perspective because, ladies, that doesn't mean that you're supposed to walk around and, you know, throw your arm around some guy and say, you know, you're not supposed to be jealous. What's well, talking about love is not jealous. It's talking about the fact that when your wife, it moves forward and, and, and God is honoring her and she's being lifted up, don't get jealous of what God is doing in her life. Cheer her on. Be her biggest cheerleader. Be there to encourage her and strengthen her. I knew Debbie had the word in her for years before she, I think, really knew it. And we went to Trinidad and, you know, and, and so, you know, I'm over there and preaching all this. And, and, and I told Debbie, I said, look, I've got you set up. I said, you're speaking to the ladies. And she said, no, I can't do that. I said, well, I, yeah, you can. I said, you, you, you know, you talk to the ladies. And I said, and you're preaching Sunday morning at this church. And she said, what? What? You can't do that to me. I said, honey, I already did it. I said, now you can go over there and smile at him for 30 minutes if you want to, but you've got to do Well, what are you doing? Love isn't jealous. This wasn't about me. This wasn't my show. This wasn't about me going into a country and everybody focused on me while I preached. I was trying to release a gift that I saw in her life, and love isn't jealous. Love tries to promote it forward. Everybody say, not jealous. Love isn't rude. I love you, but get out of my way. Love is kind. Everybody say kind. How many of you have ever been rude before? You don't have to raise your hand on that, but you know. How many, you know and so sometimes being rude, you know what I mean? Just 
You know, like, for example, if we have a, if we have a dinner, a, a fellowship dinner, and, and you're young and able body, and you take off running up to the front of the line in front of all the elderly people, everybody say, that's rude. <laughs> Isn't it odd that when you, were, when you were young, you didn't think it was so rude? <laughs> but as you get older, you think, oh, that's really rude. It's not boastful. You know what I didn't? Yeah, my wife married me because of how good I am. Everybody say that it's a turn off. Love isn't rude, it's not boastful, it's not proud. Now watch this. It does not demand its own way. How many times have you ever found yourself in a situation that if you didn't get your way, you acted out? That's not love. That's selfish. That's that, that, that's that part that you have. Well, how come love isn't so easy? Because God is love. And if you're going to really embrace love, you have to embrace God. Because you can't know love apart from God. Everybody say, embrace him. Love doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps a record. It doesn't keep a record of being wronged. How many of you have ever, don't raise your hand on this, but how many of you have ever had an argument in your marriage and you brought up something that happened five years prior? Oh, yeah. I remember when you did that back there. Well, how many times do I have to keep apologizing for that? How many times love keeps no record of being wronged? It does not rejoice about injustice, but it doesn't, love doesn't laugh at people's mishaps. I'm not talking about, you know, there's a difference between laughing with someone or poking a fun at somebody and making them the receiving end of something that's hurtful. Love doesn't do that. Love rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Now, this is the line I want you to get. This is verse 7. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. So I want to talk about these three things for just a moment because sometimes what happens is we go back in the Bible and we say, well, that was Bible days and that doesn't happen today. So I'm going to give you three stories that really happened. Everybody say his stories. It's a history of something that really happened to illustrate each of these characteristics of love. Love never loses faith. Christmas Eve 1930, Eve Gordon was a nurse in a London hospital. She was given a patient that was a German student that was there in a college, everybody say 1930, a German student in London. He came down with pneumonia, and the doctors gave up on him. They didn't think he was going to live. He was in critical condition. Eve was assigned to this young man, and the young man grabbed her hand and looked at her and said, please, I'm begging you. Don't let me fall asleep. If I fall asleep, I'll die. And so all night long, Eve Gordon stood vigil. It was Christmas Eve. So she told him about the original Christmas story. She told him about Joseph and Mary's journey to Bethlehem. She shared how there was no room for them when they got there and how that the king of kings came into the world in a lowly stable. She talked about shepherds that saw angels appear and followed their direction to see that child. She spoke of the star that the wise men followed. She talked about Herod's hatred and how he sought to destroy the child and how, Egypt, or how Joseph fled to Egypt to protect his wife and his baby. 
And she went on in detail. And when she finished, she sang him every Christmas carol that she could remember. And she kept that young man awake all night long. Morning came and the young man had survived the crisis. Days would pass and he got better and was checked out and went on with his life and years went by. Several years went by. Eve Gordon became a doctor. Something else happened over those years. A war started, World War II. Eve Gordon was drafted in the military by her country. Since she spoke Norwegian and she was an excellent skier, they placed her undercover as an undercover agent in Norway. And then one day, the Gestapo came into town and arrested her and several other Norwegian civilians. Somehow they got word that there was a spy in Planton. She prayed. She didn't lose her faith. Love never loses faith. She didn't begin to say, God, how could you let this happen? Where are you at? She didn't turn her back on God, but she turned her face toward God, and this was her prayer. Lord, I'm asking you to let death come quickly. Don't let, me, don't let them torture me. Don't let me suffer. Let death come quickly. They shoved her in a room to be interrogated. A German soldier turned, grabbed this pistol, pulled it out, and Eve thought her prayer was being answered, and when he swung around to face her their eyes locked and the nurse and the German college student were together once again he looked at her tucked the pistol back in the holster pointed to a back door and said go I give you back your Christmas <laughs> love never loses faith in the midst of turmoil and in the midst of facing at death she held on to God Amen. and my friend God held on to her <laughs> love never loses faith love is always hopeful and endures every circumstance say it with me love is always hopeful and endures every circumstance. It was a rainy March afternoon, March 10th, 1991, when Diana Blessing was rushed to the hospital because of complications with the pregnancy. They had to perform a C-section, and they delivered a 12-inch, one-pound and nine-ounce little girl that Diana named Danae. Diana and her husband David were greeted by the doctor with bleak news. They said there's only a 10% chance Danae will survive the night. Knowing what they were facing, and then the doctor went on to say, and if she did survive the night, she would be severely handicapped, that she would have to she, she would never walk, talk, or be able to see. And so, with that cloud hanging over them, David looked at Diana and said, we need to talk about funeral preparations. And Diana looked back and said, no. She said, our daughter is not going to die. She is going to live, and she's going to be like any normal girl. No, I am not talking to you about funeral, or funeral arrangements. Little Danae made it through the night, and she made it through the next night and the next night, but her nervous system was so underdeveloped that it, her, it was like her nerves were raw so the slightest kiss or touch would cause intensive pain to the child 
they were not allowed to touch their baby girl. What they did is they gathered together and they began to pray. And they said, God, our arms can't hold her, but your arms can hold her. And they prayed, God, hold her in your arms. Lord, heal our baby. It would be two long months before they were able to hold that baby girl for the first time. Two months of looking at a baby that they loved and not being able to touch it. Two months of feeling like there's a wall dividing them. And after that two-month period, they were able to hold her for the first time in their arms. Two months later, they were checking Danae out of the hospital, headed home. Still with the doctors giving them a, glee, a bleak prognosis. Zero chance for Danae. Nearly zero chance for her. But Diana just kept loving her and just kept believing God. She refused to give up hope. Time passed. Little Danae's five years old. She's petite, but a feisty little thing. And it was a hot, blistering summer's day in Irvin, Texas, as Danae sat in her mother's lap as her brother's baseball team is practicing. And, and that's when Danae discovered that there was something very special about her little girl. So Danae sat in her lap chattering and just as busy as she could be, and suddenly she fell quiet. She wrapped her little arms around her chest. She breathed in. She said, do you smell that? And her mom took a deep breath and sensed the thunderstorm coming in. And she said, yes, honey, it smells like rain. And little Danae closed her eyes, breathed in again. And she said, do you smell that? And once again, her mother answered and said, Yes, honey, I think we're all about to get wet. It smells like rain. And Danae patted her shoulder. She shook her head. And she emphatically said, no, no. It smells like him. It smells like when you lay your head on God's chest Amen. and he holds you. <laughs> And all of a sudden, tears begin to fill her mother's eyes, and Danae hopped off her mom's lap and went to play with the rest of the children, and she realized something. She realized that her prayers had been answered. Those two months where it hurt too bad to be held, God held her. Hear me today. When you've gone through something that hurts so bad that you don't want anybody to hold you, you can let God hold you. His hands are loving hands. His hands are caring hands never <laughs> love is always hopeful endures every circumstance and when it hurts too bad to let someone hold you let God the last thing that I want to speak to you about from this passage is that love never gives up. Say it with me, please. Love never gives up. It's 1989 when a 8.2 earthquake nearly destroys Armenia. The country's devastated. Over 30,000 people died in four minutes. In the midst of that devastation, there's a man walking the streets and he remembers his son that he had walked to school that day. 
he runs to the school to check on his boy, only to discover that when he gets there, there is a pile of debris that is flattened like a pancake on the ground where the school had been standing. He is overwhelmed with grief, taken back with despair and about to just lose it when he remembered something. He remembered a promise that he had made his boy. He had told his boy, he said, son, no matter what, I'll always be there for you. No matter what, I'll always be there for you. And grief turned into determination as he began to survey that pile of rubble and thought in his mind where he walked his son that day and he remembered that his son's class was in the back right corner of that building. And so he ran over to where that was and he started pulling rocks and debris off and digging down. Other parents had gathered hysterical screaming and yelling, they're all dead, they're all dead. They looked at him and started yelling, go home, you're not helping anything, they're, they're all gone. And he turned around resolutely and looked at them and said, are you going to help me now? And he turned back to pulling off the debris and he kept digging Later, the fire chief showed up and tried to remove him physically from the pile. He said, sir, you're putting yourself in danger here. We've got fires all over the city. You need to go home. And he shrugged the fire chief off and kept digging. He looked at the fire chief and resolutely stood at his ground and said, are you going to help me now? And he continued to dig and then a police officer came up and said, sir, you've got to leave this scene. You can't stay here. You're causing problems. You've got to go home. And he turned around, and the officer knew by the look on his face that he wasn't going anywhere. And he looked at the officer, and he said, are you going to help me now? And they all just stood looking at him, and he dug. For 12 hours, he dug. 12 hours turned into 24 hours, and he continued to dig. 24 hours turned into 36 hours, and he would not stop. And finally, in the 38th hour, he grabbed hold of a stone, pulled it up, and he heard his boy's voice. And he screamed out, Armand, Armand, is that you? The boy hollered back and said, yes, dad. Yes, dad, it's me. I'm all right, dad. We're alive. I told all the children not to worry. I told them that if you were alive, you would rescue me, and then they would all be rescued. I'm here, dad. I knew you would come. He called down to his boy, and he said, son, he said, he said, come, give me your hand. I'll, I'll get you out. And the boy responded, and he said, no, dad, let the other kids go first because I know that you're always there. I know you'll never leave me. I know you'll never walk away. I know you're always there for me. It made me think of another father that said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. I love being loved. I love knowing the fact that no matter what I'm going through, I am not facing it alone. That no matter what the situation is, God is bigger than my circumstance. That if I can hold on to my faith and hold on to his love, it's going to be okay. Love never loses faith. Love never gives up hope. It endures every circumstance. And love never walks away. Aren't you glad for his love today? Would you stand with me? In a moment,
we're going to give you the opportunity to bring offerings and place in the manger. Every year, we do this, and it's called March to the Manger. All the monies that come in today are used in mission outreach some way. They do not stay in the church. So over the past years, we've done relief work in Baton Rouge when they were flooded. We did a Christmas party for those children that had none. We went to Texas when Hurricane Harvey hit and did relief work there, gutting homes and trying to bring back some hope for them. We've sent funds to buy furniture for houses in Moldova where children that have been sexually trafficked have found a rescue place. We've sent offerings into Mexico to help people that had hit hard times and just needed to know that someone still cared. We're going to give you an opportunity to give that way in just a moment. But first, I want you to understand that love never gives up. Never loses faith, and it always holds on to hope, and it can endure any circumstance. I don't know what you're going through right now. You may, life may be grand for you right now, and if it is, I praise God for you, and my prayer is that He'll be able to use you to help touch someone else and remind them how wonderful it is to be loved. I love being loved. I was, I was the youngest of five children. My mom used to come home and she'd always get me and hug me up and she'd be kissing on me. That's my baby. That's my baby. And when you're a 10 or 12-year-old boy, that's a little embarrassing. Mom would take me into family reunions. I didn't know. I didn't know most of the people that were there, but we were all supposed to be family. And she'd always introduce me. And this is my baby. I'm like 18 years old now, 17, 18 years old. And I'm thinking, Mom, knock it off, man. There's some cute girls around here. Quit calling me. It was always her way. My mom died 11 years ago. What I wouldn't give to have her hold me again. Kiss my cheek and say, that's my baby. Love, I love being loved. Debbie and I may be a little odd, I don't know. We still chase each other around the house after 36 years, 38 years. After 38 years of marriage, we still chase each other around the house. We still hold hands and walk and kiss like we're school kids. Why? Because we love each other. And we love being loved. Let God open your heart so that somebody doesn't have to squeeze a hug out of you. We had the opportunity to go and speak with the team, basketball team, and they had introduced Debbie ahead of time and said, now, I, it's okay, I, I'm already there, so it better be okay. So, Kat had warned them and said, now I'm warning you, she's a hugger. And one of the girls went, ooh. 
so when we got there, Debbie said, okay, which one of you is the one that's afraid of hugs? And one of the girls just went rigid, and Debbie went, <laughs> wrapped her up. Some of you were that way when we first came here. Some of you were a little resistant to her hugs because you just hadn't been hugged like that before. I first went into her family, man, we didn't tell everybody, we didn't tell each other I love you. You know, we just smacked each other in the shoulder and said, hey. <laughs> but hanging around someone that loves will change you. It'll cause you to become a hugger. God's greatest desire is for you to understand and know that you're loved. Not because of who you are, in spite of who you are or where you've been. That kind of love passes all understanding. So this is my invitation to you today and to those that may be watching or listening this afternoon is to open up your heart and take a deep breath and experience the love of God. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to gather to the front, and we'll take the offering in a moment. But just, if you would, just gather to the front, and you say, Pastor, I don't have anything to give. Sure you do. Just give your love. Just, just give your love. Just let him know how much you love him. You know the only regrets I have when I think back, you know, with my mom or even my dad, the only regrets I have were the times that I could have told them I loved them and I didn't. Now, I want you to hear me because I was blessed. I had a mother and father that loved me. Everybody hasn't had that or not in the terms that we understand, but everyone has had, not has had, but everyone has a father that loves them. Christ was love. <laughs> Christ is love. And he loves you. So I wonder right now if you just stretch your hands to heaven with me. And listen to me. If, if you're struggling this season, the best thing you can do is to reach out to be a blessing to someone else. Even if you feel alone and even if you don't feel blessed, reach out to be a blessing to someone else and you'll discover how God blesses you. I wonder today if you'd pray this prayer with me in response to those that are watching and listening and those here that don't know him. I don't want you ever to feel embarrassed to raise your hands to heaven and love God. People say, well, you can't be a man and do all that stuff. I've never been accused of being a sissy. And I'm telling you up front, I love God. To, 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 when folks pull that on me, I, I, it really kind of rubs me the wrong way. And I say, you don't even know what it takes to be a man. Anybody can do what the crowd does. Anybody can run and cut up and drink and carry on. Anybody can do that. That doesn't take courage. It takes courage to stand apart and say, you know what? I just fell in love with someone that's loved me forever and I didn't even realize it, but I know it now and I'm going to hold on to them with everything I got because love never gives up. <laughs> love never fails. Love is always there. Are you ready to pray this prayer with me? Father, I'm thankful that you love me. And honestly, I didn't realize how much you loved me. You sacrificed your own son 
but not without his consent. And he loves like you love. Because he said, yes. And gave himself for me. So today, I choose you. I let go of old hurts. I let go of fear. And I embrace your love. And I say yes to your sacrifice. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me and make me new. And today, I want to thank you for the greatest gift I've ever been given in Jesus' name. Come on and give me a hand clap of praise in this house today. We're going to give you the opportunity to bring your gifts, but hear, hear me. Don't walk out of this place feeling empty. You walk out of this place with a smile on your face and a song in your heart knowing somebody loves me with the greatest love I've ever experienced in my life. Amen. Come on, sing it, guys, and feel free to bring your offerings. Go tell it on the mountain. Come on in, children. <laughs> you today. May you feel the peace of God with you everywhere you go. And remember, nobody's ever loved you the way Jesus did. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you here next week.